What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm very excited to have you guys here with me this week, as in every week, to chat with some of the coolest people in the D&D, tabletop gaming, entertainment, general, nerd, whatever communities. It's, it's an evolving project, and I appreciate you guys going on the journey with me. Always have very cool, very awesome guests, and today is no exception. We will talk with our guest here in just a minute. Let's chat about some other stuff first. Again, please make sure that you are subscribed to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you feel so led as to leave us a review, Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com are excellent choices. Very much appreciate it. So if you have a chance, leave us a review there. You can follow the show at Roll Persuasion on Instagram and Twitter. It's a great way to reach out. You can also email the show, Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com. This show would not be possible without the support of several different sponsors. Let's talk about one right now. AwesomeDice.com. They make, you guessed it, awesome dice. So if you need some sweet dice for your D&D game, your GURPS game, your whatever you happen to be playing, a vampire, as we'll talk about here in a bit, uh, Deadlands, you know, whatever you're into that needs dice, AwesomeDice.com is a great place to go for some of the coolest dice in the world. You can use my code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout. You save 10% and you support the show a little bit. So we appreciate that. So make sure you check them out, awesomedice.com. We appreciate having their support on the show because they are some very cool people. And speaking of very cool people, I have a very cool person on the horn with me right now. Jared, what's going on, man? Hey, that was an excellent transition. Uh, I am a cool person. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm good, dude. I'm good. So for people who don't know who Jared Logan is, uh, who are you? That's a great question. Um, boy. Three hours uh, later, like we're going to still be answering. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I was born. No. Um, I am a... It was a cold uh, winter day in Chicago. <laughs> exactly. I'm a writer and comedian. Um, and uh, so I've written on a couple TV shows and I have some stand-up comedy out in the world. Um, uh, and I currently, I think the reason we're talking is because I just started uh, streaming games uh, yeah. with some of my friends. And uh, my stream is called Stream of Blood because we do um, games that have violence and mayhem as their main themes. Right, yeah. um, uh, many games fit that. Uh, fit that. Um, uh, requirement. So, uh, we haven't been having any trouble choosing the games and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and I'm a long time gamer. I, I play all kinds of games. I play as many uh, tabletop role playing games as I can. Uh, and I like to try them all. Yeah. So, so speaking of stream of blood, it's pretty fresh. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think you've been what, maybe four or five weeks. If that's yes, right. It, 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 it's a quarantine, um, uh, it's a quarantine creation. I think we're seeing a lot of those. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, one day I was like all set to go out to a restaurant or a bar, and I noticed that they were all closed, and I said, well, let's do this instead. Um, now, it, you know, I'd been thinking for a long time before quarantine about streaming games, putting something out there that showed the gaming side of me, because, you know, mainly in my comedy, I don't really get too much into the geek stuff. I talk yeah. about the other aspects of my life. And, uh, but, the, but gaming has always been a huge thing for me. And, um, quarantine was an opportunity to kind of start uh, putting content out there about like the kind of gaming stuff I'm into. And it's been really, it's been really cool content. Uh, I have to say, and, and this will sound like I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but I, I, I'm not, I promise. Um, 
there is a lot of streaming content out there. Uh, kind of mention it, especially now a lot of people are kind of leaping into that. I have tried many times to get into new shows. I'm a, I'm a critical role follower. I follow critical role. I listen to uh, dungeons and daddies, uh, which is a, a podcast about D and D. Um, and then a couple others off and on. And so I was like, okay, stream of blood. It has some people whose names I know that I consider amusing. I will check it out. Uh, but I actually got hooked. I'm legitimately, you know, following and keeping track. And right now, Vampire, um, which we'll talk about. But uh, so, so hats off to you because I consider myself a hard person to get hooked on a show. But you've pulled it off. Thanks, man. Well, you know, uh, here's what I do have thoughts on this. Because, of course, I, I tried all the streams and watched a lot of content online. Then I really, uh, I really like some aspects of Critical Role. But Critical Role to me is like when you would try to read the X-Men in the 90s um, and they had 30 years of continuity behind them. And I was like a, you know, uh, 14 year old going, who is this? What's happening? What are they talking about? You know, sure. Um, So. um, So, you know, I try to keep my games to three players. I try to keep them two hours in length, which is still a lot of content to absorb yeah, yeah. for each, you know, I mean, a television episode is one hour. I would right. love to figure out how to do a game in one hour. I think that would be an awesome uh, innovation. Editing, and, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't figured that quite out yet, but, um, uh, and, and to really kind of try to recap and keep people up to speed and kind of start at the beginning and don't assume that the audience knows everything about this game world. Um, so that's just a kind of a couple of thoughts I had when I wanted to start trying it. Um, but we're very much still a work in progress. We have a lot of things that we need to add and perfect. You know, we're yeah. kind of throwing it together during quarantine as best we can. And my friends, Clint Trucks, um, who you talked to to book me on this, and um, Brian Baldinger, who are my producers, do awesome work in helping me kind of get all the tech right um, and things like that. Yeah. You, you mentioned kind of not assuming that people know what they're jumping into necessarily, which is something that uh, I, as a, as a newbie to uh, Vampire the Masquerade, appreciated. Cause it's a game that I hear lots of people talking about with a, a lot of reverence, like, Oh, we grew up playing this. This is very near and dear you know, to our hearts. I've never had the chance to play it. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into a game system. I don't already know. But one of the things that, that you guys have done in your episodes is you're helping everyone kind of learn on the fly. I get the impression that I don't think any of the players had played it before. Correct. That's right. So, so they're learning on the fly, which means we're all kind of getting to learn together. And it's a new system. I played the old version a lot when I so was a teenager, okay. but now this is the fifth edition. It's got rules that fix what was wrong with it when I was playing it as a teenager. Okay. As a teenager, like they, now there's this hunger die mechanic, which means the vampires are constantly hungry. And they constantly have to do fucked up shit to get blood in their systems. And they right. constantly like you know, have to really worry about the fact that they are not humans at all. And um, that's, they've put that in the mechanics of the game, which I think is a, such a brilliant thing that um, that they did because back when I played it as a teenager, it was just sort of goth superheroes. Do you know what I mean? You had all these powers and you were hard to kill, but the rules didn't constantly remind you that it's hard for you to just go into sure, a party yeah. or... Yeah, you know, people can tell you're something other and it's, you know, the, the rules didn't used to like really keep bringing home the fact that you needed to feed all the time, you know. 
So let's dig into the that particular stream and the vampire one. Um, in in a nutshell, like who plays in it? Kind of what is the setting uh, that people can expect if they jump into the show? Right. So um, I I'm a comedian and a writer, and I know uh, actor comedians, um, improvisers, uh, and I play with them regularly. I play. I've I've got a I've had a five e going for about two years. A five e game. Um, I love five e. I think it's a great system. Yeah. I just thought there's a lot of streams of that. So that's not what my stream is about. But, um, but th- those people play in, in my games. So, um, I, for vampire, we got Thomas Middleditch. Um, we got, uh, Ashley Birch who people need to know. Ashley is so talented and so funny, but just has like, she's just so easygoing and charismatic and she's just sure. like a perfect player. Because uh, she plays it real, and she pl- she plays being a vampire the way you or I would actually react if we were a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and then my buddy Ross Bryant, who's in my D and D game, and um, he's just the greatest improviser of all time. And like when we play on our D and D games, like you know how like okay, you know how like when you read a novel or you watch like a your favorite like action adventure TV show, there's like a a leader character like Mal right. Reynolds on Firefly. You're like he's kind of the leader, you know. But then when you play D&D, usually there isn't a leader because everybody's just sort of bickering and like ma- all everybody's <laughs> making crazy choices and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not just in my game because Ross is so good that everybody just sort of recognizes that <laughs> we should probably do what he says. Like he's like basically saved all of their asses like four or five times. So he's one of the best natural um, role players I've ever met. And I think... I don't think it would be a, I won't spoil, but that was one of the things that jumped out to me about him. I think in your first episode of the vampire stream is, is he does something at some point in the game that uh, is a little crazy, but is so fitting to the moment. And from a, from a consumer perspective made, it, it just made for such a great moment. It was so, so entertaining. He clearly had such a great sense of, okay, what would actually happen in this moment? What would my character do? what would make for a good story. And he went with it, which I think on streams too, a lot of people can shy away from because they're too aware that they're on stage, if you will. Uh So, so they either go too far in one direction of like, I'm going to be ridiculous and over the top and just do crazy shit all the time or they get very subdued. But so far he seemed to like really ride that balance really well. And it's made for great content. My players in general. So if you're playing with actor comedian types, um, they are so, they're so into the story of it in general um, that they will kind of like in some ways kind of help your story be awesomer because they're kind of helping you write it in their heads. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then I'm able to kind of play against that a little bit and try to like kill them or surprise them or, you know, um, just make it go in a totally different direction uh, that they're not expecting um, because I don't want, you know, I don't want players to have it easy or to also like help me game master. Anyway, that's like a nice friction. The fact that they're yeah. kind of like also kind of thinking about what would make the coolest story is super helpful. And it lets me be a little bit more antagonistic or, or it's kind of a fun challenge to try to surprise them because they're so smart about what would make like, what would be the story beat you would expect here. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of fun. When things are going really well, when I feel like I've done a good job in any of my games, it's like it everything that happened I did not expect was going to happen at all. Like I had to throw out everything that I prepared 
Um, because that's that's fun for me, not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. What uh, what I like about the vampire game um, is not only do you have like players who have not played before that you're kind of teaching as you go, but the setting that you've put them in, um, and maybe this is kind of like a standard baseline for vampire. I don't know because I've never played it, but they're also in the game. Um, again, I'm going to work to avoid spoilers because by the way, guys, like I think you guys are four episodes in by the time this comes out, it'll probably be five ish episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's brand new. You guys can jump in, go check it out. We'll drop the links in the show notes and we'll talk about them later. But the characters in the game are also new vampires. So it's kind of this duality of watching them figure out the game on the fly and figure out who their characters are in the game in this vampire world on the fly. And it really works. And it's really kind of fun to watch happen. Yeah. And, you know, we've even had comments like, um, and I appreciate these comments, but they're kind of like, Man, when I saw that it was going to be new vampires learning the world of vampire, I was bummed out. But it was, but I really liked what you guys have done. And I think that the thing that like hardcore fans of like role playing games forget sometimes is that not every like it doesn't make a good story if like we all have to have read an entire book before we play it, you know, or or present it to an audience, you know? So, um, yeah. And, and I think that we're already kind of getting out of that tutorial kind of area now. And I hope I was able to make that tutorial kind of content also. Well, cause it's vampire. It's really compelling in and of itself. Like the whole process of learning those things. Especially the the mechanic you were talking about about um you know the hunger and how that plays out and and how the right. players have to react and the struggle between watching the actor be like this isn't something I would do in real life but as a vampire I feel like I need to eat that person's blood or something um, yeah 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 it's very cool yeah there and it's also like the game works the way it's intended because I think the designers wanted people to start out trying to be sort of moral and see how quickly they kind of go downhill. And, um, boy, the game does, it does make it happen. It does work that way, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm impressed with the new edition. I really am. Is there a challenge in having comedic actors or comedians in a game that's kind of a dark horror setting? And, and I'll give an example, like Thomas, for example, uh, his character has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. First time he did it, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take this seriously, but very quickly it became like, oh no, that just fits the character. So I, I think you've, you've pulled it off, but um, was that a, a thought you had maybe of like, okay, how do I keep this from devolving into just, you know, dick jokes? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think that the whole reason that you sit down with your friends to play video game, uh, video games, oh my God, to play tabletop games, the whole reason to play tabletop games is to laugh with your friends, ultimately, at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's what people do when they sit down with their good pals and play these things. But for some reason, sometimes when we're doing like a horror game or a vampire game or even a D&D game that we're really proud of, that we really want to make get just right, especially if we're presenting it online or something, suddenly this is solemn business and we have to make sure we hit the proper tone and all this. Right. And it's like, no, you, you, you should... The, the thing that's charming about it is that you laugh and you goof around. And I trust, you know, what's nice is I'm, I'm privileged to play with people who are so good and such good actors that when I start pushing it like, okay, it's serious now, they can kind of flip back in that direction. And then 
For my part as a game master, if someone suddenly cracks a joke or does something funny, well, let's roll with that for a second. Let's not like try to force them to, right. you know, dark edge, edge lord territory. Let's see where this goes. Um, I think that like the best action or crime cinema has like moments of absurdity or like humor in it. I like a Quentin Tarantino always has like really weird kind of goofy, funny parts to it. So um, there's room for that in your game too. Absolutely. And I, I think, like I said, that the people that you have in particular, um, I've been, I've been an Ashley Birch fan for a while so that she's the reason I'm watching. I mean, Thomas is cool too. Um, but she's the reason why when I saw it come across, I was like, well, if I can watch Ashley Birch do anything, I will. Cause she's just phenomenal. So I, I think yeah. you've got just such a great mix of people um, on the stream. That's what's been so captivating for me as a viewer. Um, so far yeah. as how they lean into, like you said, the different moments, whether it's comedic, serious, whatever, they just, they roll with it. No pun intended. Yes. And I'm honored that they would trust me enough to come on and try something like this. Cause uh, I think that some of the people I'm using, uh, maybe most of them haven't really streamed any tabletop role-playing games. So uh, again, this pandemic, I mean, it's given people an opportunity to try new things, you know? Got to find the silver lining, I guess. Right. Yeah, wherever we can. Got to keep <laughs> looking for it. Um, yeah. This might be a dumb question, but is that, is that kind of part of what obviously enabled you to, to use the people that you're using? Is like, well, you're, you're, not, you're not filming right now. You're not leaving your house right now. I think anybody who plays tabletop games would say finding the time is the whole thing. I mean, Absolutely. people have D&D campaigns where they only want to meet once a week and they have half their players, you know, in half of the games. And uh, I think respecting that is a huge part of, you know, keeping going with a campaign or something like that, rather than getting annoyed at people or canceling, just going, okay, well, we're going to play anyway and we're going to do it. Um, but yes, you're, I mean, to finally answer your question, it did give me this opportunity where I was like, ooh, I can have all my favorite people at once and they're going to be looking for things to do. This is the time to do this, you know? Yeah. To prove it can work and it'll be fun. Yeah. And so far, so good. Did you start out um, the, the vampire game in particular? Did you start it out intending it for it to be an ongoing story or was it kind of a let's do this kind of as a one off and see if it works and then we'll go from there? I really was hedging my bets because I was like, I don't know how long people will want to do it or be able to do it or even, you know, there's so many question marks right now. I, I think when uh, quarantine started, people didn't know how long it would be continuing. Two weeks, maybe? The president says two. Um, it's just going to disappear then, someday like a miracle. That's what I heard. Right. Yeah. We all know how infectious diseases work. Um, anyway, uh so I didn't know at first. And I, I tell you something else. I am committed to short campaigns rather than long campaigns Okay. Um, in general, for, at least for streaming, because of the reasons that we talked about with, again, the people that are like the name critical role and they are so excellent at so many things. And I don't have to say that they're, they're a big business, you know, like and they're doing great, but you know, it goes on forever. <laughs> It never ends. And I think that there are viewers that like that aspect of it. Uh, but for me, like, I want st stories to kind of end. So even with Vampire, which is going to be more parts than maybe some of the other things we're doing on the stream, 
we are going to find like stopping points, you know, where it's like, okay, now you've finished book one of the series or something like that. Um, Cause I think it's important to kind of have these like kind of shorter storylines if you can. That's kind of how I feel about um, a lot of TV shows. I think any of us could pick like a certain TV show and be like, Oh, they really should have stopped after season blank. Like West wing was good up until season five. And if they just stopped, it would have been great. That's why I enjoy yeah. about true detective is like, I can watch true detective season one. It's a self-contained story. And I don't, right. I, I don't feel like I have to go watch later seasons to get the rest of the story because they're doing it. You know, American horror stories, maybe another. Example. Yeah. Um, but even, even shows that carry characters on like, uh, you know, the wire, uh, you watch, you can watch a season of it. You get a full storyline about a specific thing. And um, you don't have to have seen every season before or every season after to get the ending. You get like a book of, you know, like a self-contained narrative, you know. Right. So I think that's kind of cool. I mean, it, but it, you know, it's hard to do in gaming. It's really hard to do in gaming. Um, like, I, like I said, my 5e campaign has been going two years, but we are, we are now closing in on the ending, I can tell. We're in Act 3. So it's coming up. Well, I think that's, I think that's a smart and timely decision on your part. Um, kind of going hand in hand with not necessarily doing D and D cause that's what everyone's doing. Not necessarily doing a prolonged giant long story. Um, and that's what everyone else is doing. So you're kind of offering viewers, listeners two alternatives to what they might be used to. And from, you know, yeah. a branding marketing standpoint, that's, that's pretty clever. Try, yeah, try, trying to just do some different things so that people are like, oh, I like this because, like, there are clear reasons, you know. Jumping back real quick before we move on from Vampire, because I, I made a note to ask about this. So you have Clint jump in as kind of like a, you call him the rules are. Um, and, you know, that could be like an, an intrusive thing, but it actually it works really well. It kind of leans into the whole, you're teaching everyone as you go. Um, when did you decide to kind of like, okay, you know, let's have someone jump in and help you out. Does that, does that kind of cover <laughs> we, your ass as a DM? Like, Oh, cool. You know, I've got this resource available. Yeah. Well, we, we decided to do that the first time when he just kind of did it. And I was like, Oh, thank God he yeah. was there. And then, you know, he and I are really close friends and he's helping me also to, to be clear, write all the games and come up with the ideas for the games. And, um, you know, so he's, he's as much a part of the game mastering part of it as I am, you know, I just happen to have the performer background, you know, but, uh, we, we write all the ideas together. We pitch all the ideas off of each other. And, uh, and so I really like having him there. And, you know, in addition to what people see when he pops in, he's also, I've got an iPad beside me and he's like sending me ideas. You oh, know? cool. And it's sort of awesome. I don't, I gotta tell you, um, I've never, ever done that before. And I was like, oh, is this going to work or is this going to annoy me? Like that yeah. someone's like pitching me ideas. It works. It's like he's come up with some of the best stuff in the episodes. And I just like look at it and then I'm like, and then it, sometimes it's like 15 minutes later before I do his idea. So he thinks I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And then I just like put it in there. But like just to have someone else just gem generating ideas for you. Um, is so awesomely helpful. Um, so that's a little bit of how it's a show and not just a regular game right. is that I have someone helping me. I have a writer. Well, it's kind of a, a interesting take. A writer is probably a better example, but an interesting take kind of on the whole improv thing because in improv, you're dependent in many ways on the person across from you. 
kind of yes and and provide um, ideas and direction for where you're going and then you give it back. There's a lot of back and forth. So you kind of have a silent partner in the improv now doing the same thing like, ooh, what about this? And you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to grab that and run with it. Give me like five minutes. We'll inject that. That's a cool dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, a thing that you can like, you can really lose that he remembers is like, um, he'll remind me like, hey, the vampires need to use blood if they want to look like humans, right? Or or like, hey, remind them that like uh, when you fall asleep as a vampire, it's not like you're just sleepy. It's like you die again or like so that he kind of keeps getting me back to what the themes of the game are and like the really basic stuff that, you know, um, I can go off playing a bunch of characters and forget about. Yeah, kind of helps keep the the aesthetic intact um, and present. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, yeah, well, let's play the the game that they wrote. You know, yeah. I also believe in that a little bit. I, I sometimes I, I forget rules or I play really loose with them, but I do want to play the game that the people wrote. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. I, I think that's a and again, you play your games however you want to play your games. But I think I would agree kind of with that sentiment that, um, you know, D&D is what I play the most of. And so there are lots of examples of it being like, it even says in the book, like, it's your game, make it what you want it to be. But at the same time, people who are really smart, who spent a long time doing this, have put some intentional thought into ways, into the way certain pieces work. And it might just improve your experience to kind of like remember, okay, this is, this is what they had in mind when they made this. I want to play it the way they intended to just kind of lean into the experience. I, I think that's a good mindset to have. I'm in general as a game master kind of loose with rules, but then you know, as I get older and I play more and more and more, uh, and I'm playing more games now than I've ever played, I find that you got to use the rules more. Like, I mean, in fact, just lean into them. Like basically one rule in the D and D rule book could be an entire session for you. I swear to God, the swimming rules could be an entire session for you. And like, so just to give you a quick example, in my game, they, they encountered a Kraken recently, which is a giant 23rd level, monster right? right and my and and the kraken has amazing saves but my warlock cast a spell and banished him to another dimension for 10 rounds okay so it, you know i think 10 years ago if i was running this game i'd be like fuck my entire encounter is ruined like right, this yeah. huge monster that I, I prepped a big fight for is gone but then i realized okay so 10 rounds from now this thing's gonna zap back into the room my players are terrified of it and I can just make it really hard for them to get away <laughs> while the rounds tick down. Yeah, Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like more thugs kept coming in and slowing them down and they were like, we have to get out of here. This crack, it's coming back in. And then it was like, you know, four rounds, three rounds, two rounds. And that was just, you know, they barely, they barely made it out before it came back. So they didn't fight the thing, but the thing was still the whole the whole session it was in it, it and it was after I got chumped by a banishment spell. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was from playing the rules, playing the rules, the way they're written. Yeah. I, th- I think that we have a tendency or people, people have a tendency to think of rules in a purely mechanical sense. Like, like you're saying like, okay, that now means Kraken's gone for 10 rounds. That how does, how does that impact how I'm going to run this fight? But I think we can forget that even those mechanical pieces, have a real impact on uh, setting and vibe and feeling. Um, I did an interview a while back with a guy named Keith Amon who writes a book called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Uh, I love Dean. that. I love him. Yeah. yeah I, I read up on his stuff anytime I run a D&D monster, bo- especially boss fights. 
and and talking to him uh, kind of got me to where you're talking. What you're talking about is kind of changing my mindset of like, okay, well, these are pure mechanics for game execution to like, okay, no, what does it mean that this is a high dexterity creature? What does that mean about its mindset about what's going on? Like game rules are there to enrich in. I think the is enrich in a word. Sure. Um, sure. The, yeah. The, the role play experience in the setting. And I think once you kind of realize that, especially as a game master, but even as a player, it can really up the fun that you're having in your game. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, and you know, things moved like very in terms of style of games, indie games, for example, that became really popular. Things have moved very story game or narrative. Um, and I like those games a lot. I really like to play those games. But at the end of the day, for some reason, I'm still drawn back over to uh, things like GURPS and like D&D, which are kind of rules rich because like I said, you can literally look up a rule and go, oh, that's what I'm doing tomorrow night. There's just going to be this environment and they'll have to deal with this rule. Um, and people enjoy that. They like it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's less prep because prepping is, you know, it's a lot. It's a, you could prep all day and then they don't fight half of it. I, I'm also a big fan of the lazy dungeon master. You know yeah, that guy? Flourish, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, when I read that book a couple of years ago, like five or six years ago, it was, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Why not? Um, uh, there's a book called play unsafe that I liked. Do you know okay, that one? No, I don't. Oh God. You mind? I'm going to look and see if I can find yeah, go for it, find it so that I can give people the writer. Um, but basically it's about play. Here it is. I have it right here. This is a great book, and it's about how improv classes taught this guy to game master. Looks like uh, Graham Walmsley, maybe. Is that is it Graham? It's play unsafe. How improvisation can change the way you role play. That's it. Graham. That's it. So Graham okay. is fantastic, and um, his book is called Play Unsafe, and it's about how improv classes, like comedy improv, taught him to be a game master, and he advocates planning nothing. And yeah. just playing. And I ran an entire Call of Cthulhu game that way, entire campaign. And all I did was write down a bunch of monsters I was interested in, a bunch of like, ooh, this would be a spooky image or something. I didn't know when they would be in the game. I didn't know what the plot was. I didn't know. I wrote down a bunch of character types I think it would be fun to have in a game. And I just had a pile of papers, six pages of just lists like that. And then I just improvised it, and that was the most fun because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah, um, and it works; it really does work. Like because one thing that um, players really love it when you're like look when you're responding to what they're doing and taking what they're doing really like seriously. I think sometimes when I've run games and I had like a whole scenario really planned out, people would be like well, I want to go get on a plane and I'd be like, you can't really do that right now. There are no flights. It's just not you uh, right, roll right. to roll to get the money together to do that. Oh, yeah. you, you failed. And uh, when I was playing the improv way, I was like, okay, you go and you get on the plane. Where are you flying? You know? And that was really exciting for everybody. I think players can sense to when the GM has somewhere that they clearly want them to go. And, and I think as a player, that can sometimes create some anxiety or stress because you're like, okay, I, what I want to do is go get on the plane. Ah, that seems like my character or me in the game thinks there's some interesting stuff there, but I can tell 
they want me to go to the bank. So, you know, they've kind of been talking about it a lot. So I guess we're going to go do that. And so when you take that kind of improv approach, it frees it up. Every, everybody feels a little more loose, a little, a little relaxed, and, and yeah. it creates opportunity for cool story. Yeah. Um, my players actually sometimes uh, annoy me because they'll be trying too hard to help me out, you know? And, but really what they're doing is they're trying to go where the fun is going to be. Sure. And they know that whatever thing I maybe am hinting or, or reiterating, is, I'm, I'm kind of indicating that's where the fun's going to be. And then I hope that there is fun there when they get there. Yeah. Because that's different for everybody, you know? Sure. And that's another book I like is the Robin Laws book, uh, Laws of Good Game Mastering. Okay. Have you read that I one? I have not, no. So this is a great one. It's really fun read. And he, he breaks down like all the types of players, which a lot of books do, you know, the rules lawyer, yeah, the, yeah. the the actor or whatever. But what he does is he kind of shows you like when you plan your game, think about those people and make sure they each have something that they would find fun to do. Um, and that's huge in a game yeah. to make sure that each of those people have something that they would find interesting and fun and when i started experimenting with that and trying to do that i found that games got more fun too yeah it makes total sense a very a very like mindful approach to running the game not purely thinking about your story and, and where you want things to go but like like you said what would enable fun for bob for sue for whoever yeah like some people like had a good time if for four hours they got to portray a character and have a bunch of kind of acting scenes you know so make sure to put in a couple of those for that person. But then my one friend, he wants to, he wants to strategize how he's going to get through the scenario in such a way that, see, this is so different from how I play or even how I play in games, but this is the kind of player my friend is. He wants to figure out what's going on such that he can like use certain things on his sheet or get equipment together so that when he comes to the the conflict or like the enemy, it's easy. Like there's no contest. Like he's just out. He's yeah, completely yeah. strategized around them. And I used to be like, you're just, it's the banishment spell, banishing the right, Kraken, right? right? And I used to be like, you're ruining my scenario. And now I realize that, no, he enjoys that. He yeah. enjoys that. He, he kind of shut the scenario down. That's how some people play games, right? Yeah. If you're playing Magic the Gathering, that's probably how you should play it to win, right? right? Sure. Like I shut his deck down. Some people play role-playing games that way. And a huge a huge um realization for me was that that's not wrong yeah. to play that way or to want that kind of fun. Going back a little bit to when we were talking about improv, I've, I've had an idea for a while that I, I want to do that I am sure is not a unique idea because there is nothing new under the sun. And I'm sure somebody's going to tweet and be like, well, so-and-so did this at Gen Con three years ago and I'm going to feel like, well, okay, there goes my idea. But I would, love the, I would love to do specifically probably at conventions like a live show that's very whose line is it anyway style where there's no prep. I have, I have improv heavy people who are familiar with that. Everything, you know, at certain points in the game, everything happens as suggested by the audience. Like, uh, you go up to the city, somebody, you know, give me the name of a city. Okay, it's so-and-so. You know, kind of Mad Libs-esque to, to take the game from being just story building with the people there at the table to story building with the room. Um, I think that could be like a really fun kind of 
you know, improv heavy way to do. So that, that's kind of one of the things I have on my mind. Like if I ever get to the point where someone's like, Hey, come entertain us at a convention. I think I'm, I'm going to pull that one out of the bag and see how it goes. Well, streams would be perfect for that too. You know, we should try it on the stream. If you want to try it, I'd try yeah, that. There you go. Now's the time, right? Everybody, everybody's streaming and uh, needing stuff to watch. So yeah. And the people commenting could just kind of tell you what happens next. And the players have to react to that. That could be cool. Yeah, a little similar to the whole, like uh, Twitch plays Pokemon thing from a while ago where everyone's just, it's collaborative. Everybody's throwing stuff into the chat and that controls where the game goes. Yeah. It could be. Oh, fun. I got to look that up. I didn't know about oh, that. Oh yeah. I mean, not to go on a side, but they booted up. It was like, I don't know, eight years ago, they booted up an emulator playing like Pokemon Red or something. And all the controls in the game are controlled by people commenting in chat. So 50,000 people would type left and the character would just, you know, go left. And so it was kind of an interesting social experiment because they eventually beat the game. Like there had to be like collaborative, like group effort, like, okay, we're going to move here. We're going to, you know, do Pikachu or something like it. It was a really interesting thing to check in on for sure. Yeah, I am. I used to, I, I'm not even like a gamer guy, uh, like a video games guy anymore. Like I used to play a lot more, but like, um, at some point, like I just had to, I had to lose one nerd obsession, you know, like so that I could, I could have some semblance of a life, Andrew, so that I right. could, so that I could have love in my life. I had to <laughs> lose one thing. So I lost video games, but, um, I also like get really turned off by how like modern video games, like a lot of times, like you boot it up and it's like, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful, but it's like, you know, go to the mailbox and check the mail. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go to this next town and tell this guy that you need a hammer and then bring the hammer back here. And I'm like, is this a part-time job? I wanted to have an adventure, you know, like, right. there's just like so much like, but then again, some people enjoy that. My friend, my, my good friend from college, when he played Skyrim, all he did for the first like 30 hours of Skyrim is do blacksmithing. Oh, that would have driven me insane. He only would go into dungeons to get medals. And as soon as he got them, he would leave. And then he, and so he kind of started the story of the game with like super armor. That takes a lot of commitment. Yeah. So Some he, people just you know, want to be a blacksmith. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine the kind of uh, intention and focus it would take to, to do that more power to him, uh, more metal to him. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's just unwinding with some blacksmithery on his uh, Xbox, you know, it would have never occurred to me to play it that way. So I, I know we've talked a lot about vampires, but it's not the only thing that you stream on stream of blood. Mm -hmm. uh, what other kind of games do you have going on that people could check out there? We're trying all kinds of stuff to kind of see um, what sticks or what people like and so that I can play with all my friends who are good at this and love to do this. So we had a GURPS game, and the GURPS game we played was GURPS Henchman. That's my own creation. Basically, it's um, kind of noir crooks, okay. um, but and that's who the players play. They have no powers. They are 100-point mundane characters, but they exist in a world of superheroes and supervillains. So they get hired out by supervillains or have to make deals with them and stuff like that. Um, and then we played um, two games. We played two games of that. We played two games of a game called Mothership uh, by Tuesday Night Games, which is a fantastic game. People are always like, what's a good sci-fi RPG? What, uh, you know, that's always the question I see on all the message boards. Mothership is probably the one you're looking for. If you don't want to play a Star Wars like soft sci-fi game you, you probably would love mothership which kind of more simulates aliens 
Event Horizon, these kind of like corporation in space type games. Okay. It does it with, I would say, very simple, but oh, I'm going to use the vocab word robust rules, meaning like there's a, the rules were carefully chosen and they work really well. Okay. I had trouble running it because I couldn't remember all of them, but the players were fantastic. I like the scenarios we came up with. So people should play that game. Mothership, it's called. And then um, this Sunday, so Sunday, uh, our Wednesdays are our vampire game. That's our ongoing long-term game. And then Sundays, we're trying out all kinds of stuff. This Sunday, we begin our Cthulhu the Dark Ages game. Ooh, okay. I'm a big Cthulhu fan. Yeah, this is uh, Call of Cthulhu, but sent, uh, set in ninth, I'm sorry, 10th century England. So the 900s. Um, it's it's a time when they're like Anglo-Saxons and they're kind of having all these pitched battles with Vikings and these small war bands, but also Cthulhu. Yeah, which, um, which is have, fun because I think most people typically do it in kind of the Victorian you know, setting, right? So, so the 1920s is, I think the big default setting. That's when Lovecraft was writing. I have yet to do my gaslight Cthulhu game. And that's, that's, that's going to happen one day because I'm obsessed with the gaslight era, the 1890s Victorian era. Mm -hmm. But like the 1920s, I've run tons of full campaigns in the 1920s. And uh, that's a great era too. Yeah. So you were talking about space games. And before we started recording, we, talked for a minute about uh grant how it's one page rpgs um yeah are, are you familiar with the game uh lasers and feelings no okay so you should look it up look it up once we're done um lasers and feelings is another one page rpg uh this one by john harper who's kind of i, I think one of the the originators of the one page rpg um you're a crew on a spaceship uh you have two stats either lasers or feelings and you kind of roll to to generate the setting it, it's very rules light as a one page would be but um I've not been able to play, but anytime I watch other people play, it just looks like a really, it's a very fun kind of Star Trekian esque vibe. Yeah. So if you're looking for a good space game, go check out uh, Lasers and Feelings because that sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I listened to the Howard interview and I thought, oh, what a great idea to maybe throw some of these up on our stream for our first Sunday game. Sure. You know? Yeah. And they seem especially good one page games for people who have never played before. So maybe I can get some um, friends who haven't really played before in that way. Yeah, you're not putting a lot on your players or you as as a GM, you improv the whole thing and it's just kind of loose structures and let people's creativity have fun. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fun. Yeah, maybe we'll try that. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's take a real quick second here. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show that I have several awesome sponsors. Let's shout out another one, Talon and Claw. Town and Claw make awesome handmade wooden accessories for your games. If you need a great place to store your dice, they make these beautiful hardwood dice vaults. If you are a DM or a GM and you want a badass screen to sit behind, they make gorgeous, gorgeous hardwood screens. They are, are just beautiful. Like you really have to go check out the pictures to do them justice. So make sure you check them, check them out. Talon and Claw Etsy.com to check out all of their wares. If you use the code rule persuasion, you save 10%. The show gets supported. That's super cool. But Anthony over there is just making cool stuff in his workshop. Um, great friend of the show and friend of mine. So make sure that you check him out. Support small creators. Uh, we appreciate that. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. Talon and Claw, go check them out. So let's jump back in. Let, let's take it back. Let's hit the uh, the the memory sound effect like harps. Sure. What got you into games? Like what was it that kind of like lit that spark for you? 
initially? Yeah, I think that it's a natural thing for someone who is an actor or performer to fall into. And I think that I was uh, blessed at a very young age. I kind of knew I wanted to be a performer, you know, and that eventually led to stand-up comedy. Uh, But when I was young, I was in theater groups and things like that. Um, And I was also really nerdy because my dad is a big dork and he would let us watch you know, old horror movies like the old puppet masters and like things that kids really shouldn't watch, like weird old like video rental only horror films. And he would read to us from Stephen King and he would, you know, he got us into Star Trek. I I never, there was not one Star Trek film I didn't see in the theater, including the very first one uh, when I was a tiny baby. So so it's just that mixture of performance plus geek geekery. Yeah. Um, if you're reading, you know, if you're reading the Hobbit and the wizard of earth, when you're like 10 or 11, you're gonna find your dungeons and dragons, uh, boxes, you know, back, back when I started, they were boxes in the back of my Walden books. And I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know it was yeah. a game. I was like, why is there a box with, what it what is Ravenloft? I have to have this. Um, um, but you know, it was tough because I was also raised very religiously in West Virginia. I was yeah. raised Pentecostal Me as well. Oh, very religious. Yeah, yeah. And so they told us that that stuff was um, satanic and of the devil, and that it was going to um, it was going to uh, send us to hell if we played or, or opened those boxes. Yeah. So I couldn't have any of it at home. My mom and dad are truly chill and low key, but they, you know, they wanted to raise their children correctly and they were religious people. So they did not want Dungeons and Dragons in the house. So I had to like go over to my buddy Matt's house to play it. And Dungeons and Dragons quickly led into the White Wolf games, which were really my jam. Okay. When I was a teenager, those really kind of came to the fore, those White Wolf games, Vampire, Werewolf, um mage mage is an incredible game um and those were the ones i played the most and had the most books because they didn't say dungeons and dragons on the cover so then they're not satanic even though they involve much more murdering dark dark themes yeah like you could actually play a satanist in those games you couldn't play a satanist in dungeons and dragons really but um but those were the games that i probably played the most of with my with my teenage friends uh and then like most people um, I just got to stop for a while. I got interested in other things, mainly performing uh, in college. Uh, and then as I got older and I had more disposable income and more time on my hands, uh, I'm I, like I said, I'm playing more games than ever now uh, as a father. You know, and I can't wait to teach uh, my kids to play games. That That is a thing that I am. I am super excited about. Uh, my daughter is too, um, mm-hmm. but she loves when we play D&D. She, I got her these uh, foam dice. She loves to come up and roll the dice uh, and she rolls better than all of us. So I ask her to roll fairly frequently. Um, yeah. But she's seen me like making minis and she'll be like D and D character, D and D character. I'm like, yeah, you can come, you can come make one. So I'm just thrilled about the idea of being able to share this with her from an early age. I didn't get into role playing games as a player until three or four years ago. And so I'm excited to have it be a family thing that I get to share with her, that she gets to grow up with and share right. with her friends. Um, I think as a parent getting to share a joy like that with your kid is uh, there's nothing better. 
Uh, I totally agree. And I remember, you know, my, my parents and my aunts and uncles all sitting around a table playing cards and me being like, so wanting so much mm-hmm. to play cards with them one day. And when I finally got to, I felt like I felt really grown up, even right. though I was probably like 10 or something like that. But the other side of it is I have played with kids because um, my wife and I go into a family camp mm-hmm. uh, every year that we can uh, in Vermont. Um where her old summer camp is. They do a family camp where parents and their children stay for a week at this summer camp. And they were always looking for an activity to, for me to do while I was up there. And the only thing I know how to do is run Dungeons and Dragons. So I ran Dungeons and Dragons for kids. And uh, it's the best because they uh, their imagination is completely unlimited and they make crazy choices yeah. that you wish that adult players would make. But the other side of it is one time I had a, a a kid who was a really cool kid, but he took damage. He didn't die. He didn't go unconscious. He just oh took some gosh. damage and he started crying. <laughs> and I had to be yeah. like, okay, I get it. Like you don't, that's the other thing I realized, you know, that taught me something about adult players. Cause adult players are like this too. There are like a lot of players who don't want anything yeah. bad to happen to their character. They don't want to. They don't want to take damage. They don't want. They don't want an, an NPC to yeah. tell them off. They don't want. Yeah, and that's interesting. Uh, how different people experience or handle their like kind of aspirational right yeah. part of tabletop gaming. It's. Uh, I mean, running a game for kids versus adults is a whole master class in like developmental psychology, right? Like. Okay, and what what changes? Yeah. What changed from six year old playing, nine year old playing to a to twenty eight year old person who's terrified of anything bad happening to them? Let's let's dig into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know what's the same and what's different is really interesting. Let's let's dig in real quick, uh, kind of before we wrap up. Let's let's talk about comedy um, because that's kind of your your main thing. How did you how did you get into that? How did you find Stand up. What is what is the experience of being a stand up comedian like? Because I think most people see um, the quote unquote like big name comics. You know, they see Chappelle or or whoever, and they're like, "Oh, that's what stand up comedy is." But there's there's so many people out there doing it. It's such a rich culture. Um, what was kind of your entry into that and your experience in it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I was a theater kid when I was young. Um, but, uh, for whatever reason, I would get cast in comedy roles a lot. I think that I was just naturally kind of, uh, you know, leaned that way. And then when I graduated college, um, I wanted to move to a big city and try it, try comedy. I didn't know what kind of comedy, um, some people kind of push the improv angle and they go into the second city. I moved to Chicago and there were a lot of people in the second city, but I didn't have money to take the classes. I was like working, um, like taking packages like from the mailroom around the Sears Tower. Really, I was in oh, the wow. Sears Tower doing yeah. that and I wasn't making very much money. So, but it was free to go to an open mic and get up on stage and talk about whatever you wanted. And at the time, this was like 2003, 2004, there was an amazing open mic in Chicago, Illinois called the lion's den where 
literally you'd have an audience of 50 or 60 people just watching you oh, at wow. this open mic yeah. um, every Monday night. And that's kind of how I got started. And um, uh, it took me, let's see. So that was like 03. It took me about five years to get on TV. And then when I, when I got on TV with five minutes of stand up on Comedy Central in 2008, I was like, I've made it. I'm going to be famous now. And then I think it took like <laughs> three or f- three or four years after that before I actually yeah. started making my whole living at it. But uh, but they were, I mean, that's that's kind of how I got I, I got rolling, you know, um, and how I know all these people that I know. I you know Thomas Middleditch is someone I knew from back when I lived in Chicago. I live in Los Angeles now, mm-hmm. but um, you know I know him from '04, '05 when we all lived in Chicago together, yeah. and he was doing improv and I was doing stand-up. What do you think the the connection is between um, stand-up comedians and and writing? Because uh, so many comedians that I enjoy, uh, you know, uh, Mulaney or Hannibal Burris or whoever, um, have also worked as writers on you know big shows like a jimmy kimmel show or or snl or something like that and i think the obvious answer is like they're funny people who are good at writing jokes and eventually they decide to go and deliver those jokes directly to people um so maybe that's just what the answer is but but there does seem to be a lot of crossover between comedians who started out writing and now they perform what's kind of the connection there you're there is a lot of connection um this that's an interesting question and you know i could probably sit here and bore you about it for 40 minutes. I guess the, uh, the thing I would say is, um, first of all, it's not a given that a comedian will be a good writer because sure. comedy is very verbal. And you will find that even some of the really big famous guys aren't really writing it all down or anything. They're just like kind of remembering their routine and like, you know, maybe making like very like loose notes. Um, and in fact, I've heard stories of comics who are very funny and very good getting hired on television shows to write. And the people that run those shows go, this guy can't write a paragraph that makes sense. Like he can't write it down, you know. Oh, yeah. And that's that's not a judgment of that person. Sure. But maybe he's not suited to be, you know, a staff writer on a TV show, which is, you know, no great thing. Lots of people do it. It's 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 almost harder to get up in front of an audience of people and make a connection with them. Yeah. So yeah, one's not better than the other, but the thing, the thing that a television show needs and the reason they hire comedians is they can find a lot of people who can write that paragraph well, or write that script with the correct structure. Um, but someone who can be funny in the moment and, or come up with a truly unique comedic take, that's pretty rare. And a lot of the writing on a television program is done in a room around a table. And um, that's just like performing to a smaller group of people. And if you aren't funny and confident in front of people, your ideas aren't going to get incorporated into the show. So, um, and I've learned that in several ways. I've learned that from not being confident and kind of sitting back and being afraid. And I've learned that from being on shows where I was like, I felt confident and I could Mm -hmm. throw things out there and um, make people laugh. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that's the connection. I don't know if I answered that. No, no, yeah, I, I, I mean, think I did. No, yeah. no, I think you, I think it was a bit of a weird question to ask. So I kind of appreciate the, uh, the way you took it and ran with it. Um, you, you mentioned, and we've talked a, a lot about improv, uh, Thomas Middleditch actually, I guess here in a couple of days when we're recording this has an improv show coming yeah. on Netflix, him and uh, Ben Schwartz that I think that yes. show is entirely 
improv. I think everywhere they went. It is. Yeah. That's what they do. And if you've never seen them do improv, first of all, if you can get to a live show, do that. Because there's something about live performance that will never translate to uh, any kind of film. But if you can't, but barring that, and by the way, none of us can right now. Yeah. So definitely watch that Netflix special because um, the times I've seen those guys perform together have been like kind of, I mean, game changers in terms of how I understood, you know, performing and being funny and, and definitely kind of rolling with what the person uh, across from you gives you. And that's what I, I mean, if, even if you're just interested in as, as a game master, Mm-hmm. You should check that out and learn learn about that. You know, improv. You as a as a performer, do you do you enjoy improving uh, comedically? Or I mean, we talked about it in terms of gaming, but what is that like being up on a stage, kind of with your you know no notes, just going? Yeah, my my stand up. I generally I generally have routines that you know have the same punchlines uh, every time. Um, and if people want to check some out, I have two albums on Spotify and all the other places you can listen to things uh, called My Brave Battle. And then the second one is called The Twilight Door. Um, so, yeah, I have I have routines that I write out and I kind of do the same, um, but they're never the same, really. You know, they have the same words, but, sure, yeah. you know, they're almost bad when you do them exactly the same four times in a row. Like you really have to kind of add that feeling of newness each time. And, uh, there's a lot of different little performing ways that people do that. But, um, the other thing that I do is I talk to the crowd. I really like improvising with the crowd and talking to them and letting them, um, you know, throw things out there like the game you were um you were brainstorming earlier like um so i do a lot yeah i do a lot of improv in my act yeah that's pretty cool i I think that probably takes um a certain kind of person and a certain amount of confidence not just in yourself but trusting other people like like you know what we're gonna if you're if you're kind of riffing with the audience you're kind of trusting them to to show up and provide something as well maybe not to be comedians themselves but to be willing to play the game well that's the big trick of it is that the audience is funny that really everybody is funny yeah everybody is funny and brilliant sometimes not on purpose or sometimes they don't know that they are mm-hmm. but people have natural comic timing without ever even realizing it and i know some people are probably even listening to this and shaking their heads but it really is true that some people are funny and how completely unfunny they choose to be like that's funny so, and I learned this by being a, like a warm up for the Colbert Report and the Daily mm-hmm. Show and the John Oliver Show, where my job was before those guys came out to kind of s- stay with the audience for 30 minutes and just talk to them. Because before you, you know, when you warm up like the Colbert Report, they didn't really want me to go out there and do my material. They wanted yeah. me to just kind of get the audience listening and laughing. And so I would spend 30 minutes out there just kind of saying, Where are you from? and going from there. And uh, it's a lot easier when you realize that the audience is going to do some, like you're saying, the audience is going to do some of the work for you and be funny on their own. Very cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for joining me for this episode, um, talking about two of the things that I love, comedy and game. So, so you were kind of the perfect guest for me. So I, I'm really appreciative oh, that, that you yeah. came on. Yeah. No, I'm, this was a pleasure. Yeah. It's so cool to be able to talk about all this stuff and, uh, to go on and on about my obsessions. So yes, thank you.
That's what we're about, enabling obsessions. That's what we're here for. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned a couple albums on Spotify, and we'll drop the links in the show notes. But where else can people find you? Where, where can they find Stream of Blood uh, to check out your content? Yes. So Stream of Blood is on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Stream of Blood is on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Just search Stream of Blood. You'll find it and join that Facebook group. Uh, we're on Twitch. Please follow us on Twitch as well. And there's a Twitter. It's a underscore stream of blood underscore. Someone already had stream of blood. I don't know. But uh, go ahead and follow all that stuff. And you'll always know what we're doing. Um, and what we really would love is if people enjoy the show and they have a game they want to see or a guest they want to see or even just, I don't know, some kind of scenario within another game that they've always wanted to see, let us know and I'll try to make it happen. Because that's the cool thing about doing kind of like a twice-weekly show is I have time to do that. Very cool. So make, like, like I said, links will be in show notes if you guys need help finding all that. But definitely go check them out. Um, lots of really good and fun content. And, and like, like you said, I kind of appreciate you. You're mixing it up a little bit. You're like, okay, what can we do? What do people want to see? Um, so yeah. you're going to get a lot of cool and, and kind of... Uh, out of the blue stuff. So definitely make sure you check them out. Uh, do you have a personal Twitter you want to toss out? Yes, I'm at Jared Logan, J-A-R-E-D-L-O-G-A-N. Very cool. And uh, listeners of the show know that if you stick around afterwards, Jared and I will be talking for a little bit. I think we're going to talk about uh, old time movies, maybe some books you're into. So if you are a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, you have access to that special exclusive podcast feed that gives you those bonus segments, the zone of truth, we like to call it. So make sure you go and check that out. If you support the show, I very much appreciate it. It helps us use the cool recording software that I'm using right now to make sure we get good audio and, and kind of enable some other cool ideas we have on the horizon. So patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. If you want access to that special segment and some other cool stuff. And as always, that segment of the show is brought to you by my third and final sponsor, my very good friends at smugglers coffee. Uh, Jared, are you a coffee drinker? I am. Okay, so you, you should check this out. I'll send you a link. Smuggler's Coffee, their big thing uh, beyond being nerdy and having cool uh, things like a brew hope and tomb of caffeination and plus one for charisma um, is they will barrel age a lot of their beans and like whiskey, bourbon, rum barrels. So they take on this very kind of sweet flavor of, of whatever yeah. was in that barrel at first. Delicious stuff. Check them out. Store.smugglerscoffee.com. They bring you the Zone of Truth segment. So we very much appreciate them. Again, supporting small creators in the community is what we're all about. So please make sure you guys give them a follow, check them out, and they help this segment happen. And yeah, so until next time, guys, make sure that you are checking out all the stuff we've got going on. We're on social media at Roll Persuasion on Instagram and Twitter. You can give us a follow there. Um, you can check out all the different things we're doing. If you want to email the show, you can email us, Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com. Very very appreciative of my guest today, Jared, being on the show. We'll keep talking with him in just a second. But until next time, guys, enjoy your games. <laughs>